work. But, but anyways, all right. You know, I do appreciate the opportunity to teach the class. You know, and one of the things I want to do, uh, the reason I, I so much appreciate it is I truly do love the Word of God. And I hope I can express that to you and encourage, inspire, motivate you. And hopefully uh, show you some ways to things that have moved my heart and can help you, hopefully, to take your uh, time in the Word deeper. And uh, as uh, we are doing a class on the book of Jonah, uh, we may even get to Jonah tonight, but we might not. But uh, I really want, uh, quite honestly, I want you to read the book of Jonah, because what this class is not about is me telling you all about the book of Jonah. To be very honest with you, it's four chapters. It'll take you 10 minutes to read the thing. And there's all sorts of resources out there. And Gordon Ferguson and Douglas Jacoby have done all sorts of amazing things on it. But I really want to talk about, uh, as an elder and as a shepherd, I I have a concern that I feel like that sometimes in the church here, there can be a shallowness when it comes to our, our knowledge of the Word of God. And I want to give you some things to help you to get the right perspective to deal with that. You know, I was very blessed in my life as a Christian, and and I'm only starting to realize it now. I was blessed with two great men in my life uh, from the very beginnings of my walk with God, from even before the beginning of my walk with God. Uh, I was uh, first met and invited to the church when I was a college student. And uh, I was met by a man named Fred Fowler, who some of you may know. Fred is an incredible man of the word. He's one of the teachers up in Boston now. Uh, he was an incredible man of the word back then. And he invited me to Bible study. I was a senior just about ready to graduate in less than a month. And uh, he asked me to study the Bible. I went to a Bible talk, and then he asked me to study the Bible. And uh, I've shared this before, but I mean, I was so amazed at Fred. Because Fred would come in with his Bible, and first of all, it was all different colors. You know, he'd highlighted it in all these different colors. And whenever we would talk, because we just start having conversations about life, he could always go, oh, yeah, that's just like it says over here. And he would pull out some Bible verse. And I'd be looking at him, because I knew we were going to do a study, but he could actually use the word and relate to my everyday life. And I'd be saying things that were going on. He'd go, oh, yeah, that's like this scripture and that scripture. Now, I was just so astonished at, at how he could use the word so well. And I think one of the things, even it got to the point, it was funny, when we studied for a while, uh, I, he, uh, one day he started talking about us Christians and you. And, and I, I, I really didn't appreciate that very much, uh, you know, but uh, I didn't appreciate it at all. And I remember I was very offended. But I had never learned so much in my life And I remember consciously making the decision, I'm going to stay with this guy as long as I can uh, because I have never learned so much about the Bible. And uh, it was a great legacy he gave me. The day after I was baptized, he came by and he gave me a Bible. And uh, in that Bible, he wrote a verse. uh, And it was 2 Timothy 2.15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. You know, and uh, I've been a disciple now for over 35 years, and, and I, I am grateful for that charge that he gave me. And, and uh, I can honestly say that for 35 years, I have tried to be faithful, to be a workman in the word. You know, and it's funny, because even from the first days of being a Christian, 
I knew what I wanted to be when I grew up. I wanted to be Fred. I wanted to be able to help people. I wanted to be able to use the word. I wanted to be able to go into a conversation and not just have all these things prepared already in advance, but to be able to talk and, and use the word of God. You know, uh, it's funny because last year, uh, Pierre and I had the privilege and, and Jesse of, of studying with Les Dixon. You know, and it really was a great privilege. You know, and Les, as many of you know, was restored after 15 years. Um, but uh, one of the things I appreciate about Les, you know, the thing about with Les is he'd been through it all. He, he'd, he'd seen church. He'd been hanging around the church a long time. Um, he didn't need to go back through the word study and the kingdom study. I appreciate that when we talked, we would talk about challenging things, hard things. We had to get into the word of God. And he would ask me questions, and it'd be like, sometimes, I, I don't know, I'll get back to you on that one. But I felt like I needed to give him real answers, Amen. not just Sunday school church answers. Amen. We need to talk about real things. And I, I appreciate, you know, he is a man of great integrity. And to be honest, he wasn't asking baby questions. He was asking real questions. And I wanted to be, and, I, and pray for I was, a man who could be a workman who could bring the word of God. The power is in the word. It's not in my strength or my knowledge. But the word is powerful. And if we can't bring that to people, man, shame on us. Because, you know, it's, it's incredible. You know, the parable of the sower says it has a harvest of 30, 60, 100 fold. You know, that's normal. Normal what's supposed to happen when the word touches your heart. You know, I read something one time that a... a, a a good harvest is seven times. So when Jesus told that parable about 30, 60, 100, he was talking to a bunch of farmers too. And when he started saying 30, 60, their, their minds were like, oh, I can't even imagine 30. No, it's like 60 times. A hundred times. I can't even grasp. But that's what the Bible is supposed to do. In our lives. You know, and uh, it's, it's funny because uh, when uh, Les finally got restored, uh, I wanted to do something for him. So I wanted to get him a gift. And what kind of a gift do you get for a man, a man of integrity? A man who's really persevered like that. I, I went down to Mardell's and I, God bless Mardell's. I tell you, coming here to Texas, God bless Mardell's. <laughs> I've, I've never seen anything like it when I was up in Boston. Um, and I spent, just like that merchant looking for pearls, I was there for about an hour combing through Bibles because you want to get just the right one. The one that you can take notes in, that the paper is thick enough that you can write in it, the columns are good, it doesn't have a lot of baloney all over the, you know, it's like it's got some helps, but, it, you know, it's the Word of God, not the Word of God and man at the same time. And I wrote a scripture in his Bible. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, and who correctly handles the word of truth. You know, it's, it's, it's a legacy that was passed on to me. And I want so much to pass that on to other people. The second person that uh, really moved in my life was uh, a man named Jim Granberry, that uh, probably none of you know, but uh, um, he was my Bible talk leader. And Jim was an incredible guy. I moved in with him after a couple months. And I, in all the years since then, I've never known anyone who was so 
phenomenal in his knowledge of the word. And God did great things through uh, his Bible talk. Uh, there was a young woman named Danielle Charles who got baptized out of that Bible talk. And uh, she's gone on to do great things herself. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we used, to have these, uh, we used to have these things called sword contests. And it was funny, I was talking to Mark about it, and I just assumed everyone did these things. And I said, you know, we had a sword contest. And he's like, what's a sword contest? I'm like, you don't know what a sword contest is? Doesn't everybody do? But that was normal for me. A sword contest is when you uh, read a verse from the Bible, and you've got to tell the person what book and chapter it's from. And uh, we would do that. I have to say, we would, we would do that on the New Testament. We wouldn't do that on the Old. But, but, uh, but Jim could do it. And he was phenomenal. And it was hard to stump him. And he got to the point where he, went, he moved on to Psalms. You know, we never got to Psalms. You know, that was... But, uh, but, you know, he knew the scriptures so well that... And, you know, in order to do that, it's not because you have this great memory. In order to do that, you've got to be able to hear that, that verse and go... You know, and we have the brothers there. And they, they uh, Luke, eight. And it'd be like, Luke... That's a gospel. That couldn't be Luke. It's got to be like Colossians or Ephesians, you know? And he was so amazing at it. But one of the things that really struck with me, and I just want to finish, these are, you know those times when uh, old people get up and share about the old days? <laughs> this is one of them, okay? So I'll, I'll wrap up the old day talk, okay? But one of the things he said to me, he said, you know, he'd been a Christian for about two years. And he said, you know, Don, people are always telling me, man, you really know the Bible. And he said, you know, I, have, I study the Bible an hour a day, every day for the last two years. And he said, you know, if you study anything for an hour a day, for two years straight, how can you not know that thing? Which I thought was a great point, but somehow we figured out a way not to know that thing. <laughs> You know, and I thought, you know, I was thinking about that. If, if, we were, if we studied the Bible for 30 minutes a day, do you realize it's like 180 hours over the course of the year? Can you imagine if you spent like, well, I really want to learn how to fix cars. And so this year you spent 180 hours reading up on how to fix your car. Wouldn't you be like amazing at the end of it? You know, if you spent like, husbands, if you spent 180 hours trying to think about well, actually, I don't want to go there on that one. <laughs> but you, you know what I'm saying, right? <laughs> Hold on. That, uh, is there an erase here? <laughs> but, you know, and I, I just do want to challenge you because I'll be honest. And I don't want, I don't want to be negative. But uh, it's distressing to me when I've seen people who've been disciples for over 20 years. And someone gets up in front and says, turn over to the book of whatever, Hosea. And I see them going to the index. How? How could that be? You know, let me, let me read a pal. We're going to get into scripture. Let's go over to Isaiah chapter 44. And there's a couple things I want us to uh, uh, hold on to here. Kind of like, you know, to set our minds. Why do we need the Bible study? You know, we know we, know we should do Bible study. There's a lot of things we should do. We should fast. We should pray. We should share our faith. We, you know, there's many good deeds that we ought to do. And, and uh, studying the Bible, yeah, I mean, who's going to say, oh, I, I don't want to do that. But I think there's some things we really got to understand about us 
that uh, are critical for us to really have great Bible study. And the first one is, the way we think is really messed up. And I'm going to give you a great passage here. If you don't get anything else out of this, you're going to like this one. Uh, the Word of God is awesome. Isaiah 44, verse 12. It says, the blacksmith takes a tool and works, it, works with it in the coals. He shapes an idol with hammers. He forges it with the might of his arms. He gets hungry and loses his strength. He drinks no water and grows faint. The carpenter measures with a line and makes an outline with a marker. He roughs it out with chisels and marks it with compasses. He shapes it in the form of a man, of a man in all his glory, that it may dwell in a shrine. He cuts down cedars, or perhaps took a cypress or oak. He let it grow among the trees of the forest, or planted a pine, and, made the, and the rain made it grow. It is man's fuel for burning. Some of it he takes and warms himself. He kindles a fire and bakes bread. He also fashions a god and worships it. He makes an idol and bows down to it. Half of the wood he burns in the fire. Over it he prepares his meal. He roasts his meat and he eats his fill. He also warms himself and says, Ah, I am warm. I see the fire. From the rest, he makes a god, his idol. He bows down to worship. He prays and says, save me. You are my god. They know nothing. They understand nothing. Their eyes are plastered over, so they cannot see, and their eyes closed, so they cannot understand. No one stops to think. No one has a knowledge or understanding to say, half of it I use for fuel. I even baked bread over his coals. I roasted meat, and I ate. Shall I make a detestable thing from what is left? Shall I bound down to a block of woods? He feeds on ashes. A deluded heart misleads him. He cannot save himself or say, Is not this thing in my right hand a lie? You know, this is what we're like in our own thinking. You know, we can laugh at that. How, how ridiculous. The guy goes out and he cuts down a tree and he uses half of it and he he cooks his dinner over it, and the other half, he, he, he spends all this money, and someone is uh, sweating and laboring and tires himself out to make an idol, and he bows down to worship it. And afterwards, he can't even say, is not this thing in my hand a lie? But you know, that's us outside of God. We pursue all sorts of things that are just foolish, ridiculous, that doesn't make any sense. Oh, yeah, I'm going to pour my time into my job. I'm going to pour my time into this relationship. I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And you can't even say, isn't that this thing in my hand a lie? And I'm not trying to be uh, critical of anyone. This is the human condition, right? I mean, you agree with that? I mean, (laughs) to sit there and hopefully I'm not going too fast for you when I say, you know, we don't think right. I mean, you, you you can stay with that one, right? Yeah, okay, all right, we can do that. You know, but it's amazing. No one even stops to think. You know, but if that's how we are, we need another way to do things. Look over in Isaiah chapter 55, because here's the second point. Isaiah 55, starting in verse 8. The second point is God doesn't think and act like you. And you don't think and act like God. Isaiah 55, verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways, declare the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You know, I mean, we understand that, right? I mean, who here can really say, you know, you know, me and God, 
we're like on the same page about stuff, you know? I mean, me and God, you know, it's just like, you know, we just see eye to eye on things. You know, God doesn't look at things the way we do. In Hosea chapter 11, uh, starting in verse 8, I love this, is my favorite uh, scriptures. The book of Hosea, for a long time, it's, it's your typical kind of prophet book where the Israelites have sinned and doom and destruction are coming on them. And then in verse 8, uh, God says, How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I treat you like Adma? How can I make you like Zeboim? Adma and Zeboim were uh, two of the towns that were destroyed when God, Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed. He says, My heart is changed within me. All my compassion is aroused. I will not carry out my fierce anger, nor will I devastate Ephraim again. For I am God and not man, the Holy One among you. I will not come in wrath. I love that passage. You know what God says? You know what? Here's how it ought to be. But we're not going to do it that way because that's how people would do it. But when I say my ways are higher than your ways, we, we, we are not sort of close in how we relate to things. And that presents a, a fundamental problem because you know what? You know what's the key to successful life? Thinking and acting like God. Right? You want to have a successful marriage or you want to be a good father? Well, you need to think and act like God. You want to repair broken relationships? You want to know how to handle your finances? You want to know how to handle life? You want to know how, how to handle day-to-day decisions? You need to think and act like God. But see, we got a fundamental problem. We don't think and act like God. So, you know, would, you know and it's funny because, you know, if, if you won't take the, the Bible's word for it. Uh, in the movie Rudy, okay, the movie Rudy, Rudy goes to a priest and he needs some help and he's trying to figure out, uh, you know, what to do, how he can get into Notre Dame so he can score the winning touchdown and win the football game. But in, the priest tells him, in 35 years of religious studies, I have come up with only two hard, incontrovertible facts. One, there is a God. Two, I am not him. <laughs> you know? And, uh, you know, we don't would really, you know, so, so we're kind of stuck. What would really be helpful is if we had some kind of mechanism that we could know what God was thinking. You know, if only we had a way to find out what God was thinking. And it's pro- maybe he speaks to angels. I don't know. Or maybe, oh, wait a minute. Here we go. Never mind. That's what Bible study is all about. It's not about getting smart. You know, the sword contests aren't about, well, now you're good at Bible trivia. And when we go into the, our, our city group and we have our little uh, Bible trivial pursuit game, boy, you clean up. It's not about learning facts. It's learning how to think and act and be like God. And so I got a little quiz here for you. Okay? You don't even get graded on this one. And it's not even right or wrong. Because all it's got to be is, do you think, uh, I'm going to have a bunch of statements here, and see how much you really know about the Word of God. Okay? I do this with my young teen class. I love teaching the young teens. I've shared that many times. Uh, I love teaching the young teens because uh, they're at an age when they're not yet adults, but they're not children. And in one way, it's your chance. 
And I do this every time I start the class. And a lot of the teens have heard this already. Um, so you're probably worried that they know it all. But you know that teens only absorb about 3% of what is... Uh, uh, so, so don't worry about that, you know. So it's a, it's a common principle. But um, so all I want to do, I'm going to read some things off here. And I want you to think, are these things in the Bible or not? Because I think there are things that are in the Bible that uh, sometimes we would not put in the Bible if we were writing it. That's why we didn't get to write it. <laughs> okay, here you go. All right. So just think about these things and we'll go back to them afterwards. Number one, is this in the Bible or not? David's son rapes his sister. Hmm. How about two? Noah gets so drunk, he passes out naked in his tent. Yeah, you, you heard that one in, in Sunday school, right? Uh, <laughs> Jonathan was David's best friend and advisor while he was king. Uh, number four, David had a group of warriors called his mighty men, and he had one of them killed. Number five, an enemy of God's people was killed, and the murderer gets away because the victim's thir- servants think he's taking a long time in the bathroom. I mean, that one's so ridiculous. That one's got to be in the Bible, right? I mean, you don't, you don't pull one out. How about Balaam's donkey starts talking to him, and Balaam replies to the donkey that he wants to kill him. This one. The king of Israel does not want to talk to one of God's prophets because the king feels he's negative. The friend, the quote friends of Job are slain by God because they discourage him. Jesus' disciples want to destroy a village because the people weren't open. Noah brought two of every animal into the ark. A demon-possessed man beats up a bunch of Jews, so they run away naked and bleeding. Jonah wants to die because God won't destroy a city. Lot's daughters get him drunk and have sex with him because they want to have children. Jesus calls a woman a dog. Moses conquered Jericho by walking around the city seven times. And uh, that's not really true, Carl. <laughs> so that, one, that, one, that wasn't really a wow. <laughs> and a bonus, and we'll talk about this one later. Jonah is swallowed whole and survives three days in the belly of a whale. So, and we'll get back to that one. But... Uh, Checking my time. Um, Well, let's go through them here. David's son, you know, and the reason I do this with the young teens is because when they hear this stuff, they think they know the Bible. They grew up around the Bible their whole life. And you start telling them some of this stuff, and they start going, hmm? Which is exactly the response I want out of you, too. To go, whoa, wait a minute, Let let me think. You know, when I was with the young teens, we did a class one time on David and Bathsheba. Had a great class, broke up. Now, that's an intense story there, of course, if you know the story. And David, you know, gets up, goes up on the roof and sees a naked woman and calls her over and, and then has uh, her husband killed. That's an intense story. And one of the guys, you know, kind of woke up. He had not always engaged. And he's like, he asked me, is, is David in heaven? That's a great question. 
That is a great question to be able to talk about. And I think sometimes we're afraid to get into the Bible because we think we ought to, you know, clean it up and make it all this and that. You know, we need the sort of questions that people go, wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't get that one. David's son raped his sister. Is that in the Bible? Yeah, the story of Amnon and Tamar. And if you're not familiar with that one, you need to read it. Because you know that, you know, in the book of John, it says that if you wrote down everything that Jesus did, it would fill up all the books in the world. Well, when God was trying to put together his thoughts that he wanted to communicate to his people, there was a lot of material to work with. So there's nothing in here that was just filler. They're all there for a reason. And one of the most, you want to have deep Bible study is sometimes you've got to look at these passages and go, why is this even here? Why is Amnon and Tamar there? Well, I think it tells you a lot. I, I think... <laughs> Anybody who could struggle with sexual sin, which is all of us, needs to know the story of Amnon and Tamar. That Amnon was infatuated, loved his sister to the point where he couldn't even eat. And uh, he lures her in, he rapes her, and then he hates her with a more intense... You know what? You think that's not the kind of story that every uh, teenager needs to know before he goes out into the world? I think God knows what he's talking about here. Noah gets so drunk, he passes out naked in the tent. Did that happen? It did. It did. Jonathan was David's best friend and advisor while he was king. No, he was actually his... That was just a trick. He was his his best friend uh, before he became king. He actually wasn't... uh, But you know what? Again, it's one of those things that we just kind of hear. Oh, yeah, that's true. David, Jonathan. I remember that from Sunday school. David and Jonathan were best friends. Yeah, that's the one I do remember. I don't remember about Noah getting drunk and passing out in the tent. David had a group of warriors called his mighty men and had one of them killed. Yes. Yeah, that's true. An enemy of God's people was killed and the murderer gets away because the victim thinks he's taking a long time in the bathroom. That is in there. Why? I, I have not gotten deep enough in my uh, <laughs> knowledge of the word to know that one. Balaam's donkey starts talking to him and Balaam replies to the donkey he wants to kill him. That is in there. The king of Israel doesn't want to talk to one of God's prophets because he feels the prophet is negative. Yes. That is. That's Ahab and Micaiah. He says, you know, I don't like talking to him because, you know, he never says anything but bad things about me. <laughs> you know, it's humorous, but, you know, I think that's in their Bible for a reason, too. And I tell you, if you're going to really do God's will, you really could use that story sometimes, you know. <laughs> the friends of Job are slain by God because they discourage him. No, that wasn't true. Although I think if, if I asked you, did that sound like it's true? A lot of people go, yeah, it sounds like it's something God would do. Jesus' disciples wanted to destroy a village because they weren't open. Yes. That's true. Noah brought two of every animal into the ark. No, he brought, he brought seven of some of the ones, the, of the uh, clean animals for sacrifices. Is that a big deal? No, but I'm saying that everybody knows that's a fact. You know, the, the elephants and kangaroosies, the twosies, you know. Um, we, we know that. That's, that's just truth. That's just the way it is. But it's not. We, sometimes we don't know the Bible as well as we think we do. A demon-possessed man beats up a bunch of Jews so they run away naked and bleeding. Mm-hmm. How about this one? Jonah wants to die because God won't destroy a city. That's in there. And it's funny, I wanted to bring a little Bible. I had a kid's uh, storybook about Jonah. And uh, Mark was saying, oh, Don is going to go through the four chapters of Jonah. It's funny because everyone knows the first three chapters of Jonah. 
But in the end, when he wants to, the, the, he's waiting for the city to be destroyed. In my little book, at the end, Jonah is happy and, you know, he's, he's dancing with his little uh, uh, scrolls because all the people have repented. And it's like, well, that's not really how it went down. <laughs> but it is, the, it is the Sunday school gospel that a lot of people are accustomed to. And the reason I'm going through these things, I won't go through them all here. We've gone through most of them is to, to really emphasize that we've got to know what the scriptures really say. Um, because the Jews studied the scriptures, but they didn't really understand what it said. John 7, verse 50. And this is after Jesus was preaching. Uh, and the temple guards were sent out to, to, uh, to arrest Jesus. And they, uh, they made a mistake when they went out to arrest him. They actually listened to what he was saying. And when they come back, they, they got, the Pharisees are like, where is he? And he, they're like, never man so spake. And in verse 50, he said, Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and one of their own number, asked, does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he's doing? They replied, are you from Galilee too? Look into it and you'll find that a prophet has not come out of Galilee. Okay, well, Jesus is doing all these incredible miracles and stuff, but, you know, he's from Galilee, so he, he can't be of God. You know, when, he raised, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, you know what the people said? This is getting us nowhere. He, this guy keeps doing all these miraculous signs. We've got to do something to stop this. Is not this thing in my hand a lie? You know, if we don't understand the scriptures, if we don't know what's going on, then how do we know that we're not <laughs> being deceived or, or into the... You know, I don't want to be negative about but we have a great opportunity. Bible study is not just about one of the spiritual acts that you need to do, you know, like some Catholic acts of righteousness or deeds that you have there. It's how you find out how God thinks and how he acts. Let's look over in Second Kings chapter 14. And I'm going to finish it up here in a bit here, but I do need to get to Jonah. And uh, so let's go to Jonah, and so we'll turn to 2 Kings. 2 Kings chapter 14. And I'm just going to hit some highlights here, okay? And next time uh, we get together, I, 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 I do have an idea what we're going to talk about. We'll get more into the book of Jonah. But um, I do want you to read it on your own. I really do. Uh, you know, and there's some incredible things we'll talk about in a second. But in verse 23, it says here, In the 15th year of Amaziah, son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, king of Israel, became king in Samaria. And he reigned 41 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn away from any of the sins Jeroboam, son of Nebat, which he caused Israel to commit. He was the one who restored the boundaries of Israel from Lebo Hamath to the Dead Sea. In accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, spoken to his servant, Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from Gath-Hefer. And I just wanted uh, to read that to you, to give you some background as you go through the book of Jonah. Because uh, Jonah was actually, he, he wasn't a nobody, he was actually a pro prophet. Not many prophets actually were named in the Bible. You know, there's even a long story about the man of God from Judah, this great prophet, and he's just called the man of God from Judah, you know? But Jonah is one of the prophets who actually gets in the Bible by name for what he did. So it's, you know, uh, he, he doesn't come off great in the book of Jonah. But he, ha he, he did have some qualifications, okay? Um, 
He reigned during the time of Jeroboam II. Just to give you a little bit of history here, Jeroboam II was an evil king. Uh, one of the things that's very interesting, though, is that he was an evil king, but Israel was doing actually fairly well at the time. It was very prosperous, and the, the nation had expanded. It wasn't a world power, but it was doing about as good as it ever did after Solomon in terms of how big its territory was, even though he was an evil king. And uh, this book was written during the time, same time as when Amos was preaching. If you read the book of Amos, that's when he talks about people being in, lying on their couches or ivory couches and uh, eating their, uh, their, their fattened calves, and, and they lived in luxury. And so the time of Jeroboam was much like a time like today. To be honest with you, a lot of the minor prophets are very much like our time today. There was a religious facade, but there was great wealth and prosperity a lot of inequality. And so the book of Jonah, you've got to understand that when you're reading it, this was the environment that it was in. Um, they were not a great power. Uh, Assyria was not a great world power at the time, although they were doing well as also. They were pretty strong, but they were the enemies of God and God's people. Uh, and over and over again. So when Jonah's told to go off and talk to the, uh, the Assyrians in Nineveh, he's not really excited about it, which is part of the power of the book of Jonah. Um, and uh, they, they were not yet a, the world power they would be, but within a generation they would actually come down and destroy Israel and become the dominant world power, and they would be known throughout history as one of the most vicious and uh, horrifying uh, nations that ever was. They had, their concept was to depopulate the territories that they conquered. And, you know, it's not new to us in these days, that they would take the people and they would move them to different places. Some of the people they moved down into Israel afterwards were, were most of them were not worshipers of God. So they came in and introduced a, uh, a false worship. It got mixed together, and they became what became known as the Samaritans. That's where it came from. It came from the Assyrians, mixing all these people together. The Samaritans were always considered by the Jews in Jesus' time as half-breeds, as twisted worship, as this mixture, because in some ways they were, because of what the Assyrians did. The other thing I want you to note here is that Jonah was from this little town called Gath Hefer, which uh, may not seem like much, but it's a town uh, in the middle of Galilee, by the way. And it is interesting, isn't it, that the great Bible scholars in the time of Jesus knew that no prophet came from Galilee when Jonah certainly did come from Galilee. Do you think they didn't know that? I think they did know it. And I'm just going to finish up here by going over to Matthew chapter 12. And so we never did get into the book of Jonah, did we? But we're getting, talking about Jonah. Matthew 12 and verse 39. So, you know, there, there are a lot of weird things about the book of Jonah uh, that I want you to think about. Because, again, why is this book here? If you read the first couple verses of the book of Jonah, it says that God tells Jonah to go, and he, does, and he turns away, and he flees the other direction. Now, if you were writing a book of the Bible, and you wanted to encourage your people on how to follow him, would that be like the first three verses of the book is like, you know, when danger reared its ugly head, he turned his tail and away he fled. You know, <laughs> um, you know that you know, 
God, you know, I mean, I don't mean to criticize, but when you're writing a book to give us your thoughts, you really need to have, like, good people, you know, and, and you know, I told him to go, and he got up, and he went, and he did it, and, and stuff like You know, it's weird. It's a weird book. And not beyond the fact that he goes and preaches to, to Nineveh, which within a generation will become this dominant power. You know, when the kings would... Uh, when they would uh, conquer a land, they would skin the kings that they conquered and put the skins on the third throne. And they would pile up their heads of the people they conquered in pyramids. They, were, they, they lived in their concept of conquest was terror. And to this day, they're renowned. And it's like, well, that's the guy that uh, Jonah preached to, you know, because God was going to destroy him. But thank goodness Jonah got in there and was able to get that right. There's a lot of strange stuff. And then the whole chapter 4, I'll let you read chapter 4. When you can figure out what chapter 4 is about, there is not a single ounce in there of, boy, this is how I ought to be as a disciple. So why is it there? Well, I think, let me just leave you with this. Uh, Because Jesus thought highly of Jonah. And of all the books, he quoted from the Old Testament books over and over again. But this is, the, to me, one of the most amazing things he says. Verse 39. It says, He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish. So the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at judgment when this generation, with this generation condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. You know, the people came to Jesus and said, hey, we need something to, to show that you're really from God. And he didn't say, well, you know, you already got a sign. You got a sign. You know, Moses parted the Red Sea. What about the plagues? What about all the... He said, you know, you got the sign of Jonah. And I am not going to show you any more than that because that sign of Jonah... Is sufficient. So there's something a lot more here than meets the eye. Because in Jesus' mind, it's like, you know, this kind of encompasses the whole gospel, is the book of Jonah. So there's a lot of weird things, right, in there? So it might be this sort of thing you go, I don't even know if we should read the book of Jonah. But there are a lot of incredible things there. You know, it is kind of unique because. Uh, Jesus, uh, in the book of Jonah, it's the only book that I'm aware of, you could tell me, is uh, where Gentiles are preached to. You know, and people had, the Jews had a hard time with, you know, the Gentiles were part of God's kingdom. The book of Jonah was there the whole time. I mean, wicked Gentiles. That's why Jonah didn't want to go. And I'm just going to finish up with one last thing. We came back. I, I told you there was a bonus question. Jonah is swallowed whole and survives three days in the belly of a whale. And since you are, you are good, uh, I, I, I was waiting for someone to say that. You know, no, it's not a, it's not a whale. We know that. We're, we're educated people. <laughs> it, it, it was a great fish. And so I'm just going to leave you with this. I want you to think about this. What makes you think, why, why did you assume that he was alive? And we'll talk about that next time. <laughs>